Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 17 of the Simply Youth Podcast. So as part of our December theme, Ready, Set, NGO, we are now with a prominent Lebanese NGO that strives to restore the dignity of the elderly in a country that neglects them. They try to offer free healthcare, nutrition, education, and housing for individuals uh, in over 62 Lebanese areas. So please welcome the founder of Betel Baraka, Mrs. Maya Shams. Uh, we're so grateful that you gave us some of your precious time. So do you have anything to add about Betel Baraka? Hello, Lilia, and thank you for having me with you. Uh, Bitl Baraka started uh, as as a regular NGO, just uh, helping the elderly, and it was supposed to be just uh, a service that offers food and helps the elderly in paying their bills, uh, having a, having a roof over their heads, and uh, and eating decently and properly. We launched in February 2019, but by October 2019, the revolution had started, and this is when Bitl Baraka took a more prominent role. Uh, in helping the Lebanese family, not just the retirees. And we decided from that day on that Betel Baraka was going to be one of the main tools of Thawra because gradually Betel Baraka became uh, a product of Thawra and all the NGOs working today and uh, filling the gap and the void left by the inexistent government that we have, all these NGOs represent a part of of this Thawra, this big movement that is trying to revolutionize um, the, the current status quo that, uh, that we have been living with, unfortunately, and trying to uh, end this horrible state of corruption that has been um, paralyzing Lebanon for the past 45 years. So, um, and gradually something ha- started happening uh, with the COVID-19 outbreak. We realized that all the people living uh, in Lebanon, and at the time when the COVID outbreak really became a pandemic and the government decided to close down uh, the entire markets, at the time in March 2019, there were, uh, in March 2020, sorry, there were 1.2 million daily workers, which means 1.2 million people had to leave their home every day to earn $5 a day at the time. So can you imagine just telling these people, stay in your house, don't leave your house, don't work. And at the same time, they wouldn't offer them food or uh, financial compensation or anything. So how were these people supposed to work? And this is when Bet Baraka started having more international exposure because we contacted SEAL and SEAL are one of the biggest NGOs uh, based in the United States uh, and in contact with all the Lebanese diaspora. So we contacted them and we asked them to help us with a webinar to fundraise and to be able to feed all these families that have been shut down and locked uh, locked in their homes. We were able to fundraise a million dollars uh, in less than one hour through the amazing webinar that uh, took place in March 2020. We raised all this money and this is when finally we were able to have our international exposure and we grew from becoming a small NGO to becoming a, a much larger uh, national player. Um, and ever since, all the economic and social problems and health problems were uh, aggravating the, the fall of the Lebanese people into, into poverty. And today we have 60% of the Lebanese population living, uh, in, living in what you call the, the, the poverty threshold, uh, which means they earn less than $5 a day, but the $5, of course, taking it on the international level, not, not the $5 
uh, on the devaluated Lebanese pound. So, um, and this is a huge problem because now we have to, I mean, I know the situation we're going through now is very exceptional and this is temporary. This is something that's not going to last a very long time. We are fighting corruption and we are fighting dinosaurs of corruption who have been there forever and who are not going to let go of their seats that easily because they know that if they let go of their seats, they would probably all end up in jail. So they're not going to make it very easy on us. But until they leave, we are going to have a tough couple of months or maybe four months, I don't know. But during this period, these NGOs that, for example, are Betel Baraka or Afrojoa or the Lebanese Red Cross or all these NGOs around us have to play a very important role in securing food, shelter, medication and education for people because these are the basic needs of any human being. So this is what we're doing until one day we hope that a proper government is going to be uh, elected and then international funds will start coming in. And it's very easy to repair a country like Lebanon because Lebanon is so small and the Lebanese people are so creative and so dynamic that I think our healing process will not take more than a year. That's amazing. Okay, so I have a question. Us, can you describe the day-to-day operations within your free supermarket and Kermes Day one? Yes, so uh, we start very early in the morning because um, usually families start coming to the supermarket at around quarter to eight. So our shelves have to be full. Uh, our vegetables and fresh produce and eggs and poultry and meat have to be uh, ready for distribution. Uh, we plant everything we, we present. So everything we distribute free of charge in terms of fresh produce and eggs and dairy products, they're all from our farms. We have 500,000 square meters of organic land on which we produce everything we, we distribute. Uh, for example, this morning we received aubergines, broccoli, cauliflower. These are the winter, uh, this is the winter crop. In winter, you, there are specific vegetables that, uh, that you plant. So, um, and then we received also eggs. We received uh, 150 kilograms of Lebni, uh, fresh milk and uh, yogurt. Every day we receive 150 kilograms. Um, So people started coming at quarter to eight this morning. Uh, They took their food. They also took their medication. Uh, So those who come to take their food usually have a a prescription for their medicine. Uh, Whenever they need to renew their medication, We buy it for them and we make sure they have it on time. Once the prescription is over, the treatment is over, we stop. Uh, We ask them to go back again to one of the dispensaries that uh, we have a deal with. So they go again, meet uh, the doctors assigned to help them. They either renew for them the the prescription or they just end the treatment if they're doing better. Uh, We're doing very well now with the medical side because ever since we started planting organic food, Uh, And ever since we started offering fresh eggs and poultry uh, and organic beef, we realized that our patients, our beneficiaries are much healthier. And so our our medical bills have been reduced by half. Uh, We used to pay very, very high medical bills on cholesterol. Uh, We used to pay a lot on insulin uh, and uh, and on triglyceride medication. And now it's just half of the of the sum from last year because everyone's eating healthy now so basically they take their medication and by 12 o'clock uh, there is much less um, 
there are much less beneficiaries in the supermarket. This is when we start focusing on the paperwork. Uh, we have to start paying rent, start paying uh, education fees, tuition, school tuitions, universities tu tuitions. We're distributing laptops to schools. We work with a lot of schools who have identified the most uh, devastated families, especially after the blast. Many students have lost their iPads, their laptops. So we're trying to compensate for that. This is what we do starting noon. In parallel, we have uh, a reconstruction department that works uh, very early. They start at 7.30 because we're trying as much as possible and as quickly as possible to fix the houses that have been uh, uh, damaged by the blast of October 4th. We have on our list 3,011 apartments, 38 traditional heritage houses, and 230 small businesses. We've we've almost finished all the small businesses, so uh, and we've also we also restocked them. So it's not just fixing core and shell; it's also replenishing the stock with goods or with, uh, for example, all the hairdressers got shampoos and uh, hair dryers and brushes. Uh, all the supermarkets and mini markets we fixed uh, got uh, all the food products, hygiene care products. All of this is free of charge so that they can start with 100% margins of profit. Um, basically, our days finish around uh, 530 uh, the agriculture team usually uh, comes in the morning, delivers the fresh produce. They leave uh, around uh, 930. And then they stop working around four in the afternoon because they wake up at four in the morning. They start working at five. Uh, we have uh, 100 uh, goats. We have four cows. Um, we have 80 chickens. We have uh, duck rabbits for manure because we use only their manure. Um, it's organic. Uh, huge yields of vegetables and fruit, fruit trees. And we have a section where we process all the milk to make the uh, the yogurt, labne and laban. That's it. And the cheese. Uh, so Betel Baraka has formed an all-encompassing environment that ensures the health of elder people. So within your supermarket, do you rely on uh, corporate donations or individual ones? And do you promote the products of local businesses? Yes. So first of all, we're no longer dealing with only elderly. Uh, we kept on our database of beneficiaries all the elderly people that we had met before, uh, before Thaura. So from February to October 2019, we were working only with uh, for serving elders. But starting October 2019, we opened up for all family family groups. We have elderly, we have women, we have children, babies, we have students. Uh, it's just for the Lebanese family. Now, in our supermarket, we've created an environment where people come in and can donate food, donate clothes, they can donate furniture. We're opening now uh, Lebanon's first free showroom of, of furniture. People who lost all their furniture in the blast can come in and select the furniture they want. Uh, we upcycle the donated furniture, so we have a team that uh, scrubs and paints and refurbishes everything we receive and they become brand new, then we can distribute them to our beneficiaries. The donations that we receive uh, in kind are usually either government sent. So we have, for example, the French government, uh, the Kuwaiti government, the Emirati government who send uh, in kind donations. We receive huge lots of flour, uh, chickpeas, uh, lentils, uh, hygiene boxes, uh, 
and things like this. We have private donors who, for example, a lot of friends of ours keep going to the supermarket and they buy for us. They go to different supermarkets in Lebanon. They buy products and then they send them to us so that we can put them on the shelves. And the most important uh, source of donations for in-kind, for food donations, are the corporate uh, FMCGs, fast-moving consumer good companies. These companies send us, uh, on a monthly basis, a specific amount of boxes in which we have uh, all sorts of canned foods, uh, water bottles, uh, frozen foods, uh, biscuits. So these are deals that we have with them. Uh, we work with Procter and Gamble. We work with uh, Al Wadi Al Akhtar, uh, Halwani Group, uh, Unilever. Um, these are among the big ones. Nestle also, uh, Globus. Now, with regards to the financial donations, 99.9% of the donations we receive are private donations. They are funded by private people who just believe in our work and trust us with their money. So uh, they send us the money. We have a very, very tiny percentage that we received once from an embassy, and that's it. So I want to ask a question about your support for the elderly. So do you think that Beit al-Baraka should opt for a more sustainable action plan instead of like alongside renovating houses or offering free resources? For example, instead of renovating more than hundreds of houses, a much easier solution would maybe be renovating or supporting elderly houses. What do you think about that, about the sustainability of your work? Yeah, well, uh, what we've done um, before the blast, we used to uh, renovate only the houses of the elderly. So if you visit our uh, Instagram page and you scroll back down to uh, before October 7th, uh, before August uh, 4th, you're going to notice that we've uh, we've revamped a lot of homes for the elderly where we've put uh, medical beds, where we fixed leaking roofs and we've adapted the bathrooms uh, for wheelchairs and all these things. Uh, the problem is that what happened now with the explosion changed the dynamics of our work because our donors got so panicked and, and they're right because the situation was unbelievable. There are 300,000 Lebanese people living uh, with, with devastated homes. So the situation made it in a way that our donors told us, since you have the expertise in refurbishing homes and making them uh, decent for living, we are going to send you funds to fix the homes from the blast. Um, and this is what we've started doing, and this is how we started growing our um, our teams. Uh, they're all included in the budget, although we always make sure that we don't spend more than 2% of our total budget on overheads, on salaries. Now, there is for the elderly, uh, there is a project that I have in mind, but that unfortunately I can't seem to find the time to, uh, nor the time, nor the, the money to to implement. Uh, I, I really want to have a, a retirement home because in Lebanon, unfortunately, there are no retirement homes. Uh, we have just a couple that are extremely expensive and there, there are two others that are extremely um, uh, not in good shape and not managed properly. So uh, the elderly today, if they don't have a family to take them in, their kids or their uh, neighbors, they just end up on the streets. And this is one of the biggest problems that we're facing now. So I think the most sustainable way 
uh, is to eventually open a decent and very big uh, retirement home. But this is something that should be government funded because um, you can imagine that you might need up to 3,000 meals a day. If you have 1,000 uh, elderly sleeping there, you're going to need to cook 3,000 meals a day between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're going to need uh, 3,000 diapers a day. Uh, I mean, an NGO cannot do this. This has to be done by a government. Yeah, going back to the issue about your budget, I wanted to say that you're really a strong advocate for transparency and you share your financial records on the website. So from January 2020 till July, you collected more than $1.87 million in donations. Did you notice mm-hmm. a sharp increase in donations after the Beirut explosion? And do you fear that decline in the global purchasing power and within the diaspora would decrease the number of donations in the upcoming year? Uh, There are two factors here uh, that are at stake. First of all, COVID worldwide has uh, slowed down the economy a lot. So definitely all the governments who are supposed to send money uh, to Lebanon now, because, you know, it's uh, what happened was a humanitarian disaster. So anytime there's a humanitarian disaster anywhere in the world, all the countries of the world pitch in and give funds to help this, this country. So first of all, you have an economy that has slowed down, slowed down dramatically, which has decreased definitely uh, the good intentions of these people in helping us. The second thing is politically related. The Lebanese government, unfortunately, was never able to um, to to put to good use any dollar that has been given to it. So every time uh, money was sent to Lebanon, on on a on a, I mean as a charity from other countries, it was always stolen, always. I don't think in the history of Lebanon, in the modern history of Lebanon, was an amount ever sent without being stolen. So uh, as long as the system is gonna be like this and a new government is not gonna be formed, there are no funds that are gonna be transferred to Lebanon. President Macron has already uh, said that there are $2.5 billion in emergency funds that are ready to be sent to Lebanon now with nothing in return. These are just going to be sent uh, ASAP. But we need either, they they want to send the money either to NGOs directly, or they need a new government to be formed and a government that they can trust. The second option, unfortunately, is going to take time. And this is something that we don't have because it is raining on people who are living with no roofs. I mean, this is not a joke. And we have huge heritage, heritage houses that are 200 years old, that are collapsing under the rain. And this is a disaster for our history and our identity. So time is of essence. Uh, These $2.5 billion are there. We need to make good use of them. And there is a lot, a lot more money coming in eventually once another government is formed. Now, with regards to what we call the, the, the terrible phenomena of donor fatigue, Uh, Yes, we hit donor fatigue because if you look at our charts, uh, I'm going to publish our charts very soon. Um, From from August 4th until September 1st, the chart was booming like crazy. It was almost perpendicular to the um, to the to the X uh, to the X line. But then starting September 1st, it started gradually decreasing. And now it's completely, (laughs) completely back to zero. Uh, because people usually tend to get uh, a bit busy with other media stuff. For example, uh, the, the first 
the first slowdown started with the Armenian war with Azerbaijan. So uh, this is when the media forgot about us. Uh, the second thing was, don't forget the U.S. elections. Um, also, the media attention was drawn towards the U.S. Uh, the third was um, uh, the, the riots in France. So gradually, people are starting to forget a little bit about Beirut. But this is not a problem for us because at the end of the day, we have 15 million Lebanese uh, living abroad. We are only 4.5 million in Lebanon. So from the 15 million, I don't imagine that there is one Lebanese citizen living abroad who is not in touch with Lebanon. From what we've seen, the number of people who just called us and sent us money, if, even if it's just a dollar or one euro, but we have a database of hundreds of thousands of Lebanese citizens living abroad, all of them wishing and willing to help and to keep helping. So I think they just need a little bit more time and uh, they're definitely going to send again and they're going to send always. Um, I'm not worried about eventually the, fu the funding coming in. I'm just worried about this short period of time that we have to wait until the funding starts coming in. So, especially the explosion affected areas that are overwhelmingly reserved for the elderly. Uh, what have the elderly people uh, you have met throughout your stellar work at Beit al Barakah taught you? Uh, humbleness. I, um, when we first started, my weak point is, of course, the elderly, because they are the most fragile segment of the society. And um, they, you know, when you look at an orphan or you look at an, a senior, I always tend to go to the senior because I say to myself that the orphan still has all his life in front of him or her uh, and still has so many chances. Whereas the elderly are people who just, they've done it, they've lived their lives and that's it, it's over for them now. And for the decent ones who worked and who who contributed to the to the growth of the Lebanese economy because they pay taxes. We're a country that pays taxes. We pay 11% in taxes. So coming to this age and not finding your taxes given back to you in healthcare, in social care, in uh, uh, pension plans, it's a shame. It's it's more than a shame. Yani, honestly, I can't find the word to describe the animosity of our government in treating the elderly this way. So. Most of the elderly that we've met uh, when we started, I'm going to tell you a story of how Beit al-Baraka started. It's going to answer you, uh, but through a story. The first time uh, I started Beit al-Baraka was because I met a woman who was in her late 60s, sitting under the bridge of Birj Hamoud. I was in my car. I was going to Birj Hamoud. I saw her sitting under the bridge with dozens of boxes and suitcases. So I thought she was either traveling or moving from one house to the other. But she looked so decent and so elegant, it was a bit weird to see her there under a bridge. So I, I didn't stop, I just continued. Uh, I placed my order, I was buying uh, cloth, fabric, and uh, the, the shop owner asked me to come back three days later. So three days later, I went back and she was still there. So I stopped my car and I went down. I was not even close to charity. I had never done any charity in my life. My mom used to work with uh, Dad al-Aytim and things like this, but I personally had never done anything. So um, I went down to talk to her and she wouldn't look at me. She wouldn't even answer. And um, so I, I took a, a, 
a cardboard box, empty. I smashed it and I sat on it. And I stayed with her 45 minutes. Uh, I told her all the secrets of my life, everything. <laughs> my, my deepest secrets. Just to put her at ease so that she can start opening up. And after 45 minutes, she, she revealed to me that she used to be a French teacher. For 42 years, she taught in a private school. And when she went on retirement at 65, they gave her her retirement pension, which is by law, a private, um, you have three types of pension in Lebanon. If you work in the public sector, which means anything related to the government, you get a pension every month. And this is why everybody is running. يعني بيكون الواحد مخرج nuclear scientist بيروح بيشتغل شرطة سير بالبلدية بس لأنه بيطلع له retirement pension. So this is this has very very negative repercussions on your GDP because at the end of the day, you are paying from your tax money. You have to pay the salaries of all these government officials, uh, government uh, uh, functions. So this is very bad. You're not supposed to have that many. But everybody wants to work in government sectors because they get the pension. Then you have the second pension plan that is given when you work in a private company. There, they will take the total number of years that you've worked and they will multiply them by the last salary that you've had. For example, if your last salary is $2,000 and you've worked 10 years, they're going to multiply $10,000 by 10. 10 years of declared services, and they give you this lump sum. It's called a lump sum, L-U-M-P-S-U-M. Once they give you this lump sum, everything else stops. So there is no more income, there is no more social security, there is no medical coverage, there is nothing. So this lump sum has to cover your rent, two electricity bills, because one is for the government, one is for the generator, Two water bills, one is for the government, one is for the CITER. Two medical bills, one is for the hospital, one is for the insurance. So basically, these $20,000, $40,000, they basically last not more than three to five years. When you're 70, so basically at the age of 65, this person takes the lump sum, and by the age of 70, the lump sum is already gone. So they find themselves on the streets. The third sector uh, in which they, uh, people can work is the free labor. يعني حدا عنده محل دكاني كوافر مانيكير استيتيسيان all these free labor people doctors even هدول كلهم they have nothing so they have to do their own life savings and this is why when you go to a دكاني and you see a 95 year old man working there. It's because he cannot afford to stop because he will not have any income anymore. When you see a taxi driver driving his cab at the, at the age of 88, it's because if he stops working, he will not have daman anymore. He will not have income anymore. And this, I have learned about this with this lady. So when I took her in, I told her to come with me in the car. I took her to a hotel. And every morning I used to go to her and we used to sit together and start making lists of names of people that she knows who are in her situation. And we started visiting them. Little by little, I started noticing that most of these people, the retirees, the elderly, who have worked all their lives, very decent jobs. Most of them are very educated. They're from the elite. 
uh, they've written uh, the intellectual elite, of course. They have written plays. They have uh, some of them have written books. Uh, they are painters, nurses, uh, airplane pilots, all sorts of uh, blue colors. And I just realized that most of them have been living for years without electricity. They're just in the dark. So uh, all this goes back to the problem of uh, pension plans. This is for me the most important law that has to be voted in Lebanon immediately. It's the Daman al-Shaykhoukha. And then we can vote for everything else, women's rights, women's mabarshu, babies, anything you want. But Daman al-Shaykhoukha has to be the first because there is so much dignity and so much humbleness in the way these people are living in their misery that it breaks your heart. You just go see them and they don't nag. They don't ask for anything. They're just sitting there waiting for time to pass. And they've just given up. So you started the Beirut My First Emergency Fund following the August explosion. How did you manage to stay on the streets and support thousands in need? Um, I'm very well assisted. The team that I have is absolutely brilliant. And I always go by the saying that says, uh, when, when your people grow, they make, when you make your people grow, they make you grow with them. This is Steve Jobs who said that. And this is the most intelligent key to success I have ever heard. And you should apply this when you start working because this is the only way you're going to make it in life. All the people around you, you have to empower them and you have to give them responsibilities and you have to help them grow because once they grow, it's your business that grows. And when your business grows, you grow with it. So all the people working with me are extremely, extremely intelligent, efficient, proactive. Uh, they are very good decision makers. We don't have a complicated system of hierarchy. Uh, so it makes it very easy for us to constantly be on the streets, in the field, uh, managing everything from our phones. All we need is just a connection, 4G or Wi-Fi, whatever. Once we're all connected together, Everything is set and planned. Uh, we have weekly meetings just to update ourselves. We have the morning brief. This is the most important. So every morning, everybody meets before we open the shop. All the heads of department meet. So we have the social department. We have the medical department. We have the supermarket uh, head. We have the head of warehousing. We have the chief operating officer and me and the head of reconstruction. So we all sit together. And uh, we, we make the briefing of the day and 8.15, everybody starts. So uh, this also is very important. And then there's the system of, um, there's the factor of trust that we have built with our donors because I can stay on the streets working day and night every day, but I can't do anything if I don't have my donors trust because at the end of the day, they are the ones who are uh, fueling us and giving us all this money so that we can work. Uh, we are still very, very low on budget. Our budget is supposed to be 8 million to finish all these houses. We still have uh, we still have 5 million to go because we've received 3 million until now, unfortunately. Uh, but it's okay, we're waiting. Uh, so this is how we manage it. It's good coordination, uh, empowering everyone and learning how to delegate to the right people. Wait, do you rely on like volunteers in your supermarket or like on employers and workers? 
we have both. So we have a team of 14, uh, 14 employees. So all their salaries together represent 2% of our total donations. Uh, and then we have 212 volunteers. But these are what we call committed volunteers, which means they give us their schedule and they tell us, I will be present these days from this hour to this hour. And they sign on a kind of contract because uh, when you deal with people's lives, it's not a joke. So it's not like we're selling uh, bread in a bakery. We are literally feeding uh, people who, if we don't feed them, they don't eat. So uh, if we don't give them their medicine, they, they, might, they might just die in their bed and nobody's going to hear of them. So we make them sign a commitment uh, engagement contract with us saying that I will be committed as a normal employee, but ju I'm just working pro bono. Is there any other form of volunteering? Uh, we have volunteers that help us uh, from abroad. We have um, a lot of Lebanese. By the way, I didn't, I never thought that Google had so many Lebanese employees. It's unbelievable. The senior vice president uh, of Google is Lebanese. He has a very, very large team of Lebanese kids. They are all brainiacs, unbelievably intelligent. And they're all over Google. Some of them are in Dublin, others in Switzerland, others in Silicon Valley. And they're volunteering with us, uh, helping us create softwares and, uh, and systems of work that enable us to start uh, organizing, organizing ourselves a little bit better with uh, proper sheets and proper databases that are easy to search. Hello? So thank you so much, yeah. Maya, for joining us today and telling us more about Better Baraka. We loved having you and you're so really amazed by your powerful work. Giving so thank much you. time to NGO is really amazing and you stepped in when our government failed to do so. As you noted, you still need so much. You cannot really work on all of these like, different horizons, different aspects that you want to target. So really hope our audience enjoyed and benefited from this episode as much as we did. Thank you so much, honestly. Thank you, really thank you Thank I just so. want to add one, uh, one thing because your audience is, um, is made of young people probably and there is a very important message that I would like to relay to all the, uh, all the Lebanese youth. Um, my generation, unfortunately, the ones who are in their 40s, have really, really messed up this country because um, we're a country of, uh, that has a system, a very democratic system. We can vote. So nobody has imposed on us uh, the mess that we're in. We have voted for this mess. Uh, our parents, the ones who are today in their 60s and 70s, lived in uh, a lot of fear because there was the civil war and all the mess. So the ones who are mostly to blame are this generation of the, the 40 years. But the new generation that's coming now, your generation, is absolutely brilliant. What I'm seeing now and, and the way your generation is putting back the pieces of everything we have broken together is beyond what I would have ever imagined. And I want to congratulate every single one of you because I know that you're doing things that young people are not supposed to do. You're supposed to be clubbing and partying and discovering uh, new experiences and traveling, whereas you're spending your time uh, pushing NGOs and uh, rebuilding your country and uh, learning about politics, which you probably shouldn't be doing at this age. But this is going to give you a lot of maturity to become the positive resilient, not the negative resilient, because the negative resilient is the one that you slap on the first cheek and then he turns the other and says, slap me again, I don't care. You are the positive resilient ones, which means you slap me once, 
I'm going to slap the shit out of you. And this is what we need. We do not want a generation of people that just take all the, the mess and just say, it's okay, we're going to rebuild. It's okay, we're going to rebuild. And we're going to stay with the same uh, same government. And it's okay, they're going to steal and we're going to rebuild. This is not the way it's it's uh, it has to be done. We are now at a crossroad. And Lebanon's history, uh, if, you, if you carefully read the, the last 100 years of Lebanon from 1920 to 2020, the entire structure of this country was very, very wrongly done. So it was time that it ended. And definitely it's not going to end easily. It's, it's ending with a bang. Uh, like everything we like in Lebanon, it, everything is always in a, with a bang. But, um, but I'm glad that there is such a deserving uh, generation that is here now. Um, it's like we say in Arabic, the change that's coming is absolutely magnificent because we're getting rid of so much corruption and it's deeply rooted. So it's definitely very difficult to uproot, but we're almost there. We, we're in the bottleneck. So it's very tight, very difficult, but once it's over, it's going to be magnificent. And Lebanon is a very small country and everybody says that. All the big players that we've met from different governments who are willing to support us have all told us it's a small country that has four seasons, that has innovation, that has talent, that has dynamism, positive energy, uh, a fertile soil. We have everything we need just to rebuild this country in no time. So just be patient, keep believing in your country. Don't be sad that a lot of people are leaving now. It's okay because all those who leave come back and we need some people to leave because they send fresh money here. And without these international remittances, we would have died. The country would have gone into severe starvation. So uh, those who go now will eventually come back and they will come back to a better Lebanon. Thanks to you guys. Thank you so much. It, all your talk has been really amazing on Jad. And inshallah, just very frustrating to be a young person right now. And I'm choosing decisions for us. I'm astronauting But like, hopefully now university elections, I'm like a shift towards independence. next 10, 20 years. You'll be surprised. It's not going to take that long. You're going to call me back in mid-2021, 2021, and you're going to tell me, my God, you were right. I have a gut feeling for this, and you will see. There is a change in the region that is unstoppable. It's like domino effect. And it's like, it's like you just throw something, and it starts rolling, and then you cannot stop it. It's like an avalanche. It's impossible. It's not scientific. So you're going to see by next year, you're going to start seeing the basis of a very new country and very new system.